Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, and stories of West Seattle come together. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. If you're new to this podcast, welcome. I'd love to hear from you on the Always West Seattle Facebook page, or leave a review and be sure to subscribe wherever you're streaming from. In my pre-pandemic life, I often wondered if I was spending too much time staring at screens, on my phone or computer or TV. These days, where would we be without them? And though some things we used to do just can't be replicated over Zoom, there are plenty of our old diversions that have become even more intriguing and accessible thanks to creative uses of technology. In this episode, we'll check in with two of West Seattle's most significant cultural institutions to hear how they've adapted their programming for our pandemic digital age. We'll start with the Southwest Seattle Historical Society, keepers of the Log House Museum on Alki and producers of an annual in-person home tour that many people mark their calendars for to make sure they don't miss. For the 2020 edition of this on-site experience, the Society created something that transcends their old limitations of time and place. To learn more about it, we talked with the Historical Society's Executive Director, Michael King. Every year, the Southwest Seattle Historical Society does a historic home tour. What's different about this year? The home tour is a longstanding favorite on the Historical Society's annual calendar. But uh, as you noted, this year's experience will be dramatically different due to coronavirus. In particular, we're going to be offering an entirely digital experience. And participants will have the opportunity to register for a general admission experience during which Uh, They'll have access to an exclusive video that features 360-degree photos from the Maynard House. And what's the historical significance of the Maynard House and the Maynard family? So Doc and Catherine Maynard were among the earliest Euro-American settlers in what would become Seattle, and they left a a truly indelible imprint on the city's early history and, and, of course, uh, the history to this day. Uh, And we decided to select the Maynard House in particular for this year's experience because the descendants of Doc and Catherine Maynard recently donated several dozen letters to the Historical Society that were penned by Doc Maynard back in the 19th century. And the home itself, which was renovated by its current owner in 2018, is just a couple blocks away from the Historical Society's Log House Museum in Alki. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the oldest home still standing in Seattle. So it seemed like a really timely opportunity for us to explore the home's history. And and we have a lot of knowledge to share about both the home itself and, of course, uh, Doc and Catherine Maynard. So we're really looking forward to that opportunity. Cool. And so is the content of the letters that you recently received sort of reflected in the, the tour? Some of it is. Most of the letters address interpersonal relationships between Maynard and his children, but there's just so much rich content that we're really eager to share as much of it as possible with our audiences. And how do people experience the tour? Do they need any special equipment? No, participants will receive an email with a link to the video experience and will then have a a chance to view that 360 degree video and and tour of the home while listening to a narrated audio contract. And they'll have the opportunity to slow down 
the pace of the experience itself by spending some time investigating particular elements of the tour that may be of interest to them. So beyond a computer with an internet connection and speakers, participants just need to have a little curiosity to get the most out of the experience. Cool. And I guess with this format, you can hang out as long as you like. Absolutely. What were some of the challenges you had to deal with in putting this digital experience together? The most significant challenge was determining how we could organize a tour of a historic home in a, uh, a really dynamic digital format that was both accessible and engaging for our audiences. And we kind of returned to a fundamental question during the, the planning experience. Again, how do we create a digital experience that provides participants with some agency to navigate the tour at their own pace. Mm -hmm. And we're really, really excited about the finished product, and we're confident that our audiences will be as well. Beyond that, access to both the camera equipment needed to take 360-degree photos and uh, the expertise needed to compile all of that data uh, and information was a significant consideration. But we've got a wonderful and resourceful team of staff, and we were especially fortunate to benefit from the assistance of Peter Nelson, who's, who's a, a longtime friend of the Historical Society. and mm -hmm. He's just been a tremendous help throughout the process. We were also really, really fortunate, given that the pandemic changed everything for us. We were extremely fortunate that the current owner of the home, Marty Tepke, was still willing to open his home to us to allow us to take those photos. And now that you've put one of these digital experiences together, do you think you'll do more programs like this? We certainly will. Uh, this type of programming has actually enabled the Historical Society to increase our visibility and accessibility. We've actually found that we've been able to engage larger audiences using digital programming than we might have been able to accommodate in an in-person format. So although it goes without saying that we wish the public health circumstances were considerably different. The ability to open programming to a larger, broader audience through digital tools has certainly been a, a silver lining for us overall. Cool. I can't wait to check it out. It's a magnificent opportunity to learn more about your local history while supporting the Historical Society's programming. To take the Maynard House tour and learn about other online events from the Southwest Seattle Historical Society, visit loghousemuseum.org. Next up is the Junction's renowned theater and visual art gallery, Arts West. What used to be a venue and organization known for intimate theatrical productions has practically reinvented itself into a digital production studio with collaborative partners across the country and close to home. To hear more about it, we talked with Arts West Artistic Director Matthew Wright. The first Arts West pandemic-related foray into the digital realm was your filmed staged production of St. Joan. How did that come to be? It was the day of our final dress rehearsal that word came from the city of Seattle and the state of Washington that we wouldn't be able to have events. And so we weren't able to run the show, actually, at all. I mean, I've been doing theater professionally since I was 19. Uh -huh. I have never experienced that before. Because the final dress rehearsal is the penultimate night. You right. know, it's like we finally solved all the problems. We figured out the stuff. We're so ready to open this tomorrow night for an audience. And to not be able to do that was um, crazy. Yeah. So that was mid-March. And originally, we were going to just put it on hold. So we left the set up in the space. And we told the cast, you know, we'll reach out to you and let you know once we have a better idea of when we think that venues are going to be able to reopen. Mm -hmm. And of course, 
in mid-March, we had no idea. Right. We thought maybe it's, it'll take a month for this to sort of get under control. And eventually it was obvious to us that there was no time that we could say that we were going to be able to actually open the show and perform it for a live audience. Yeah. And so that's when we decided to capture it on film. So we figured out a whole COVID-19 protocol, uh -huh. you know, cleaning and sanitization protocols. Yeah. And we rehearsed the show in masks. And so we restaged the show in a socially distanced way with no audience in the house and put it on film. And was it dramatically restaged from what it was originally intended to be? You know, it wasn't because fortunately, St. Joan is Bernard Shaw play and his plays are language plays and their idea plays. And mm -hmm. so the content and the dramatic action of his plays are really just people speaking to each other, mm -hmm. generally from across the room. I mean, his characters in all of his plays exist in socially distanced environments anyway. <laughs> so we were lucky in that way because already the show, you know, no one touches each other really yeah. in St. Joan. There, there aren't fight scenes. There's not intimate scenes. Mm -hmm. They're all just conversations of people sitting and standing in rooms talking to each other. So in that way, our job was a little bit easier. We just had to make sure the couple times that people were too close to each other that we figured out a way to, to get them apart. That's amazing. And accidentally timely. Exactly. <laughs> uh, your next digital venture is Temporary Occupancy, a virtual performance piece created with Diecast, a Philadelphia-based immersive theater company. How did that partnership come about? That came about because the co-founder of that company is a friend and a colleague of mine from my time back in Philly named Brenna Geffers. And I was in Philly from 2007 to 2010 doing grad school, doing my MFA in directing at Temple University. Mm -hmm. And Brenna was also in the program as an MFA uh, directing candidate. And so Brenna and I got to know each other really well during that time. And we made a lot of work together when I was still in Philly. Mm -hmm. And about a year ago, I remember seeing on her Facebook that Diecast Philly developed a version of the immersive theater that would be solely online. And it was a piece called Mad Deep Dish. And when you log into Mad Deep Dish, it looks like the web page of a pizza place. Hmm. And so there are all these options of the kinds of pizza that you could order or whatever. And then pretty soon on that pizza place website, a little chat bot pops up and starts to talk to you. And at first, it seems like it's just an employee of this pizza place that wants to take your order. Uh -huh. And it gets increasingly weird from there. <laughs> and the, the chat bot asks you questions. And then based on your responses, like shows you into deeper and deeper areas of this website where there are embedded videos and it starts to get weird. Wow. And feels a little bit like Alice falling through the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. So I saw that a year ago and I was so impressed by it because I had never seen anything like that before. So then when we started looking at what kind of digital programming we could create during this time, I emailed Brenna and I was like, hey, I have a crazy idea. And so we got on the phone and we talked about temporary occupancy, which was a piece that was already in development. So oh, they were okay. already creating some sort of similar to Mad Deep Dish a virtual immersive piece that would have something to do with a hotel. And they were in the early stages of development of that. And so we just hopped on board and turned it into like a collaboration. And there's a bunch of Philadelphia actors who participated in the making of temporary occupancy. And then a couple of Seattle actors who 
we added into it as well. And it was great because if we weren't doing something like that, it would be very difficult for us to do a collaboration between our two companies and unite Philadelphia and Seattle actors in the same piece. Right. So in that way, it was really kind of awesome and fortuitous that we were able to have an excuse to do it. Yeah, it's one of those pandemic-related silver linings that, you know, we're all sort of looking for and pointing out like, hey, this never would have happened if it wasn't for this. Exactly. Temporary Occupancy is the first production to come out of a completely new series of programming that you've announced called Theater for an Empty Space, focused on new and archival video experiences. What else can people expect from these experiences? So Theater for an Empty Space has five components to it. And I'm probably going to get the names wrong. (laughs) I don't have them in front of me. But one is called Replay, which Mm -hmm. is a series of video interviews with artists and creatives who have made work at ArtsWest, reflecting on their practice and the work that they've made. So the first one of those is being edited right now. And it's an interview with Lex Marcos, who's a scenic designer who's worked at ArtsWest and who I love working with. And he's done, I think, six or seven productions in the past few years at ArtsWest. And the second bucket is an initiative to commission new plays specifically for Zoom Mm -hmm. to be created with Zoom in mind and with the inherent limitations of Zoom as part of the thing. And so we've got three of those commissions out right now with artists who are developing work for Zoom as Mm -hmm. these original Zoom plays. Mm -hmm. And then we have Reunite, which is what would take place in person at ArtsWest. And of course, when we developed Theater for an Empty Space as an initiative, we thought that there was a world in which we could perform a very small in-person play for a socially distanced audience in our space sometime this fall. Mm -hmm. Of course, we now know that we're not going to be able to even gather a a socially distanced audience of under 50 people in our space this fall. Yeah. So that will be pushed out a little bit. But that is a commission of an original musical by Justin Huercas, who was the composer lyricist on Last World Octopus Wrestling Champion that we produced last year. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, that was our first foray into new work. And it was a a brand new musical from the mind of Justin Huertas. So he is working now on creating a two-person brand new musical that is going to be based on a fairy tale and is performed by two actor musicians who accompany themselves. And it's being designed for a socially distanced audience of 48 humans in Arts West space when we can come back. And then we also have an initiative called Rebuild, which has to do with anti-racist work, which we're working on at ArtsWest right now in terms of taking a look at our operations and our policies and our values and making sure that those are in line with anti-racist principles and practices. Mm -hmm. And so the first initiative that's going to come out under that bucket is an anti-racist book club for our Arts West family and community to to join in on. Cool. We'll we'll read some of the anti-racist literature that exists from people like Ijeoma Oluo, Ibram Kendi, Robert D'Angelo, Ta-Nehisi Coates, people like that. Awesome. That sounds amazing. What have been some of the biggest challenges in making these digital programs happen? Some of the challenges have to do with the fact that even when you're producing something digitally, everything costs money. And when you're talking about digital work, it's a kind of unknown environment. So there's no way for us 
to predict what people are going to be interested in. Mm -hmm. And so just a completely different, currently non-existent world. This is also at a time where our entire business models as uh, theaters have been annihilated for yeah. the time being. You right. know, the structures of income and uh, expense that we know from producing live theater don't really exist anymore. Theater companies are operating at a loss. Mm-hmm. And so it's trying to figure out how to produce work that costs money when you are operating at a loss. Yeah. And the content that you're producing, you're not sure that you can make any money off of in order to sustain the producing of it. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest obstacle that I think everyone is struggling with right now is is navigating that. Do you think you'll revisit your original plans for your 2020-21 season as soon as you can? Or do you think you'll wait and see what the future holds? I think we're going to wait and see what the future holds. It's a balance right now between trying to figure out how much uh, time, energy, and resources can we put into making content right now that can be offered digitally for our audiences, Mm -hmm. and how much time, energy, and resources can we put into the future, and making sure that when we come back, we come back strong and right. And so that's what we're working on right now. We're balancing that. And so we have a very, very strong eye on the future, I think, anticipating the fact that at some point we are all going to be able to gather in the theater again. And none of us have the golden key about when, what needs to happen. A vaccine, you know, how long does the vaccine need to be out? Is it going to trickle back? You know, none of us know that, but I think all of us have tremendous faith that at some point there is a desperate need for human beings to gather in greater numbers together to tell each other stories. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to keep our eye on that and make sure that we can do that when the time is right. Do you feel your approach to theater will forever be changed? I think so. I think artists are going to be interested in approaching the practice of creating theater in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think that audiences are going to want that too. You know, I think that when we come back, it's going to be the world's biggest love fest. <laughs> I think everyone is going to be so desperate and so hungry to make stuff together. And so it's like, I can't remember a time when that has been the case. Yeah, you know, I think that audiences are hungry for work all the time, obviously, and artists are hungry to create work all the time. But to just come back ravenous, mm-hmm. both as an audience member and as an artist, I don't think I've ever experienced that before. And I fully expect that to be amazing. Mm -hmm. I expect the process of making work together as artists to feel totally different and so much more special and so much more precious. And I would expect from an audience perspective, the same thing, you know, the ability to go back to seeing and experiencing the thing that we love with, you know, people, other humans, (laughs) you know, I, I think is going to be feel so precious and so important and so special. So I think it's going to feel different. I think definitely it's going to feel different. I'm looking forward to it whenever that day may come. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Check out the innovative online experiences being created by Arts West by visiting artswest.org. For another intriguing piece of digital storytelling that hits close to home, check out Podcast West Seattle's recent episode on the history of our currently closed High Bridge, including the fateful night when the ship hit the span. Find it at podcastwestseattle.com. 
That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. If you like what you heard, please leave a review, share with your friends, and be sure to subscribe. And follow us on Facebook for updates. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.